Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Countless amazing products debuted at the World Fairs that were held all across America in the early 20th century. The millions and millions of visitors were also treated to scientific achievements like color televisions, touchscreen displays, and the telephone, juicy fruit gum, Paps Blue Ribbon beer, ice cream cones, and cherry coke were just some of the brand new foods shown off to fairgoers. But for one very important visitor, there was one invention that stood above the rest in its fateful significance. President William McKinley entered the Temple of Music at the World's Fair in Buffalo, New York on September 6, 1901. He greeted a few attendees before an unknown anarchist named Leon Chogos shot him point-blank in the stomach with a 32 caliber Iver Johnson revolver. The Secret Service lifted the wounded president and put him in the back of a prototype electric ambulance where they rushed him to the nearby hospital, making him the first president to ever ride in an electric car. Unfortunately, Although the invention served its purpose admirably, it wasn't enough. While McKinley later died from the gunshot, the dream of the electric car did not. Today on Pass Gas, what kind of bonkers science took these very weird prototypes from quirky novelty to racetrack heroes? How did the internal combustion motor not only kill the electric car, but also make it absolutely amazing? What is the true origin of the electric car? What does it have to do with a modern EV that recently broke the world record for drifting? Turn on, tune in, and plug in. It's an Are We Past Using Gas edition of Past Gas. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Cherry Coke, huh? I got one word for you, baby. Yeah? Yum, yum. <laughs> Do they still use that like really crazy like mid nineties uh font on their cans and stuff? No. That was great packaging. Yeah, that was my that's that's the goat, you know. I'm partial to wild cherry Pepsi. 
Mm-hmm. I am a Coke guy, but I will drink Wild Cherry Pepsi if I have the choice. I respect that. I respect the hell out of you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. It took a lot of courage for me to say that. Everybody, I want, I want you to be proud of Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody be proud of Joe right now, okay? Show Joe that he's safe and we're proud of him, all right? You know, I couldn't sleep last night because I was thinking about either bringing this up or not. Well, I'm glad you did, man. I respect the hell out of you, dude. Are you crying? Yeah. Me too. All right, well, I'm so glad that we could uh, share this moment together. Welcome to Pass Gas, everybody. This is an automotive history show. I don't know if you've uh, gathered that. Uh, I am your host, Nolan Sykes, joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, uh, <laughs> Joe Pepsi Weber. Uh, be alert, Wink Wink Nation. <laughs> <laughs> and James Pumphrey. We're never going outside again. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of these weeks, it's going to hit. One of those catchphrases is gonna stick <laughs> yeah i'm just throwing a bunch of sketty at the wall <laughs> maybe that's it reintroduce me nolan and james pumphrey i'm just throwing a bunch of sketty against the wall <laughs> all right guys what's up welcome to past gas <laughs> and our wonderful velvet tone voice boy Nolan Sykes. Hey, I already introduced myself, but thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, as all, uh, uh, like I said, this is a the the beginning of the electric car. So we're covering this week, guys. Um, question: Have you ever driven an electric car, James? Yes. What was it? Uh, I've driven some uh, Tesla Model Three, Tesla Model X, Tesla Model S. Uh, Oh, the Pininfarina. I didn't drive it. I sat in it. Oh, yeah. The Batista? The Batista. Whoa. Batista, Batista. That car is surprisingly funny. <laughs> <laughs> that car That car used to live in its car. <laughs> <laughs> when it retired from the WWF. <laughs> yeah, but then it like made it <laughs> because of James, James Gunn. <laughs> Joe, what about you? Have I ever driven? Uh, I actually just dr- might have driven my first EV for the uh, first time last Sunday at the BMW driving experience. I got to drive a, an electric X5, and it was zippy. Yeah, very zippy. Uh, more like more like zappy. Oof, nice. Because of electricity, I get it. Yeah. Oh, what about zappy? That's an improv <laughs> joke for you. <laughs> you have to pay uh, $600 a month at, uh, the, yeah. at UCB to get that joke there. <laughs> Shout out to paying for having friends. <laughs> yeah, I think the discussion of like, oh, what'd you guys think of it? They're pretty cool, right? Like, it's a foregoing kind of thing. Like, yeah, electric cars are freaking sick. The Porsche Taycan is my favorite car right now. It's so fast. Uh, but we're going to see the beginning of uh, of these cars. And it's kind of maddening to know that, um, I mean, if they, if, if they had stuck around and gone as mainstream as internal combustion cars did i mean it was a, it was a question of technology of course but uh electric cars right now would just be on another level just insane but that's kind of what makes living right now so exciting is we're going to get to see that happen in our lifetimes and uh the future is looking good for those i want to add that mckinley wasn't just 
the first president to ride in an electric vehicle. He was the first president ever to ride in a car. And it happened to be an electric ambulance. And it happened to be while he was dying of a gunshot wound. So kind of a mixed bag for yeah. him. So he couldn't even enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, whoa, this, whoa, this instant torque is, ugh. Oh, wow. It's so quiet. I really do miss the clip clop of my horse, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. There had to have been, like, purists that were, like. 100%, dude. Like, people were, like. What, like, I don't know that my car doesn't like me. <laughs> like, I know that my horse likes me. My horse isn't going to drive off of the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. Like, this thing doesn't give a shit about me. It doesn't even have eyes. Yeah. How am I going to get in a thing without freaking eyes? Yeah, right. It is literally a machine without heart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can kiss my horse. What am I going to kiss a horseless buggy? Maybe. No. What am I going to rig a pulley and harness system to let this thing f- me? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait, what? Me- <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I think that's a good, good enough time to start our story here. <laughs> Believe it or not, the electric car actually predates the internal combustion vehicle. The first real gas guzzling piston pushing motor didn't emerge until 1876. When Nicholas August Otto cobbled together a janky four-stroke motor and dubbed it the Autocycle Engine and immediately stuffed that thing into a penny farthing, which made his bicycle into a motorcycle. That sounds terrifying. A penny farthing with a motor with a motor in it? Oh, is that one of those big ones? The big front wheel? That's one of those big ones. That's like a big old hipster motorcycle that you'd see tattooed on a mustached man. I bet Thomas has a penny farthing tattoo. <laughs> no, he's Canadian. He probably doesn't have that. Sorry, what year was this? 1876. Dude, and like, <laughs> like 150 years ago. We hadn't even figured out bikes. Like the best way to make a bike. Like we didn't we didn't even have like chain drive. Like no one had figured out to put a chain around two gears. No. And make and make a bike that didn't have a huge front wheel. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. I that's, you do you do it then. You do it. This works. It's pretty good. <laughs> I bet when he rode through town, like that thing's making a bunch of noise. He's going fast. They probably thought he was like a witch or something or a warlock. Yeah, for sure. He was going 12 miles per hour and people were like, he's going to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> then almost 10 years later, the Germans doubled down and brought a heavy hitter, Mr. Carl Benz, onto the scene. Mr. Benz had the first ever patent for a practical internal combustion engine powered three wheeled car. However, Benz wasn't fated to build the predecessor to the Reliant Robin. He decided to add a fourth wheel to his design, and Benz & Co. was founded. They quickly became the world's largest automotive manufacturer for the time period, and by 1900, they were cranking out a steady supply of fine German auto cars. If you want to know more about the Benz patent auto uh, wagon, uh, check out the episode on Bertha Benz and her first road trip ever. It's a good one. I guess the first road trip ever. That was a fun one. They bought gasoline at drugstores. It was like a cleaning agent, right? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even gasoline. It was like the fuel that they used was like something you could just buy at the drugstore. Was it in kerosene? Look, man, it was a long time ago that we recorded that one. I don't know the specifics. I heard it was Noxzema. Yeah, don't even uh, check that. It's probably true. 
Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Noxzema. <laughs> I heard it was Spice. From Dune. This guy's on a Dune kick. No, I'm on a kick of uh, being 18 years old and walking with my friend Tyler from the gas station back to our dorm. And he bought K2 at a gas station and uh, smoked it and got a little weird. Tell us that story off air. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. The Donut Underground. Okay. Yeah, you can hear that story on Donut After Dark, our X-rated <laughs> podcast. Join us next dad. That's Donut After Dark. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, as cool as those internal combustion engine cars are, though, the history of the electric car started way before Benz and Nicholas Otto got in the game. 50 years before those guys were funneling petrol into their horses' carriages, there was a Scotsman named Robert Anderson, who had built himself a motorized carriage. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> Mr. And What do you want? <laughs> Give me the green pill. Mr. Anderson, <laughs> it's nice to see you. That's Agent Smith. Hey, Mr. You Anderson. look like him, and he looks like you. <laughs> <laughs> I know Kung Fu. <laughs> Counterbees doesn't have a ton of lines in those movies, eh? Yeah, he does. He goes, what? Yeah. What? Wait, are you telling me? <laughs> I know Kung Fu. Uh, in the second move, second and third movies, he starts to talk a lot more, but you're right. In that first movie, he's uh, all the exposition is given to him. You know. Yeah. He represents us. We're the ones waking up. We're the ones who know Kung Fu. That's right. Trinity, look out! <laughs> look out, Trinity! <laughs> Anderson's carriage could barely be called an electric car, but it qualified. In the mid-1830s, he took a standard carriage and got rid of the horse, then filled the interior with primary cell batteries, which were non-rechargeable. It was stuffed so no one could ride inside. These single-use batteries would carry the carriage like magic for about 20 minutes until the batteries died for good. And just like iPhones, a charger wasn't included. <laughs> Ooh, shots uh, fired. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, Tim Cook, you <laughs> <laughs> Another solidly named Scotsman, Robert Davidson, took Anderson's ideas and decided it would be better as a train. In 1837, Davidson pulled the steam engine out of a train in Aberdeen and installed a modified version of the Anderson engine into it. Rather, it's not really an engine, it's more of a motor. The train could chug along at a whopping four miles per hour for one and a half miles before the pallets of batteries had to be thrown out and replaced at an enormous cost. But still, that's very, that's impressive, man. This is 1837. Yeah, it doesn't impress me. Oh, you built a you built a train with a battery? <laughs> that don't impress me much. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that batteries existed at this time. This is news to me. Yeah, it's crazy. I feel like this is like like uh Benjamin Franklin had just like reeled in his kite at this point. And they're already they already have batteries? Yeah, technology, man, progresses. Now, this is after Franklin. Yeah, this is like forty years after Franklin. Another Scotsman after that, William Morrison, they all have son in their name, managed to get the first patent for the electric carriage. He built his model around 1887 
and debuted it in a city parade in 1888, according to the Des Moines Register. Fun. Morrison's electric car was leap years more advanced than the others, but it was still very primitive. It was a front-wheel drive with a four-horsepower motor that managed to rattle its way to a very gentle 20 miles per hour. In the trunk were 24 battery cells that had to be recharged every 50 miles, so pretty good range, honestly. His car was a huge hit at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. And while it was anemic in power, it was overflowing with inspiration for other inventors that had been tinkering with electric vehicles of their own. Dude, 50 miles at 20 miles per hour? That's awesome. That's great. This is 1887. That's great. That's basically like the Chevy EV1 that came out in 1996. No, the EV1 had like a way way longer range really yeah oh there is a there's an electric ranger i think that had about 70 miles that came out around the late 90s too i know this because i just shot an episode of d-list called electric and i wrote that one well then why can't why don't you know i was trying (laughs) to think of what the what the worst one was i think i think the chevy ev had like kind of like still impressive range like 200 ish yeah yeah. 150 Mm mm-hmm there's one inventor with a familiar name who developed the first truly usable and race-worthy electric car all the way back in 1897. Everybody's favorite Nazi-adjacent car guy, Ferdinand Porcha. Dude, he wasn't even Hitler's best friend. Ooh. Cut it out. No, I was just like on his, I was just like rode in his plane with him. Uh, founder of a little company that puts out 911s, creator of the Volkswagen Beetle had been obsessed with electricity his entire life. As a boy, he worked at his dad's carriage body shop and was encouraged to become a master carriage body fixer by his father. So he's a coach builder. Yeah. Uh, His dad was a master tinsmith slash carriage fixer. (laughs) A job that was pretty impressive back in the day. But behind his dad's back, he was doing more than banging on tin panels for carriages. (laughs) He was a legit mad scientist. Ferdinand would spend the afternoons peeking inside the local electricity outpost, making notes on how it all worked. Then he'd head home, and since no one had invented the internet yet, he used this time wisely and gathered huge vats that he hid away in his attic so his father wouldn't find him not banging tin. Oh, my God. He'd fill these vats with different types of acid. Don't look at me. I just got a vat of acid. Creating giant open cell batteries and (laughs) an attempt to power his childhood home. You know, maybe it's a good thing that the internet occupies so much people's time because I wouldn't want my upstairs neighbor harboring giant vats of acid. (laughs) Voss, I just want to make a battery with it. But eventually, his daddy came home early from work one day. Bang, he was done banging tin. So all finished banging it, fixing them carriages, and found acid pools littering his attic. In a fit of rage, he kicked over the vats and stomped them all flat. Furious, his son was fooling around with science instead of banging tin. Dude, you better not be. I don't care how mad you are, don't kick over the vat of acid. Yeah. Do you like your shoes? <laughs> yeah. Or your roof? Young Ferdinand watched in awe and horror as his father splashed himself with acid in some bizarre move to get his son back in the carriage <laughs> workshop and stop wasting his time with electricity. Ferdinand's mother calmed his father down and eventually he left to treat his acid splashed body. 
Look uh, what you did to me. <laughs> <laughs> the ridiculous scene did nothing to deter Ferdinand's hopes of electrifying everything in the neighborhood. After enlightening the block, he started tinkering with making an electric car, and a few short years later, the 23-year-old Ferdinand Porcha debuted the Egger Lohrer C.2 Phaeton. Whoa. <laughs> the Phaeton was basically a frame with two patio chairs bolted on it and a steering wheel rolling on straight-up wagon wheels. It's like whistling diesel. <laughs> but the first Porsche ever built was no sloth. The 286-pound electric drive system that ran on a few dozen Tudor batteries put out a spectacular... Are you ready for this? Five. Oh. Horsepower. I love Porsches, dude. I'm a P-car guy. I love horsepower. Hey, I just realized that rotary engines sound like Tim Allen. <laughs> we should make a meme. Write that down and give that to me. That's a great, like, if that's done well, that's like a really good little meme video dude yeah cars that sound like celebrities and then like the supercharger wine could sound like i don't Fran know Drescher. mr sheffield <laughs> our our audience of 14 to 25 year old guys are gonna love these early 90s sitcom references Look, I'm sure some people enjoy men of a certain age <laughs> that listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah. People know who Tim Allen is. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The buggy would hit a ripping 22 miles per. And that's probably faster than a horse. We didn't Google it. Uh, <laughs> now that doesn't seem impressive today, but keep in mind, this was the era of Tesla being a real living actual guy and not a car brand. And like Thomas Edison was like electrocuting elephants and uh, Porsche entered his Phaeton into an electric vehicle race in Berlin on September 28th, 1899. The winding road race would cover 25 miles, which eliminated a lot of the racers because their batteries wouldn't run out. But not Porsche. No way, boy. He won that race. And he won the hearts and minds of the crowd, which 
fully bought in on electric cars. While companies come and go, you couldn't kill the idea of the electric car. In Detroit around 1923, the aptly named Detroit Electric was building a car cleverly named the Detroit Electric. The zippy little car could hit More 25 like zappy. The zappy little car could hit 25 miles per hour and had an outstanding range of 80 miles. Wow. More than 60 miles over previous electric cars. That's like a useful vehicle at that point. Yeah. You could go get a, a chopped cheese and be back within the hour. Yeah. Even though the electric cars were finally becoming useful and realistic to own and drive, internal combustion engine cars were still winning the battle. The Model T was more affordable, and it was much easier to refuel and keep driving. But even Henry Ford's wife chose to drive a Detroit Electric over one of her husband's Model Ts because she found it less obnoxious and dirty. And also, Oof. she probably hated him. Yeah. And like <laughs> this was like a passive-aggressive move to just make him mad because he was a terrible, terrible person. Just a little microaggression. Yeah. But it wasn't just the carbon footprint that kept Mrs. Ford away. One big factor that set the two types of car apart was the way you started them. The Detroit Electric started with the flip of a switch. On the other hand, you had to hand crank the Model T to life. The immediate and easy start was a feature loved by Mrs. Ford, as well as physicians who needed a dependable car that got them on the road quickly. Physicians? It's a doc. There's another word for a doctor. I know, but like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, people are sick. They got to get there quick. Yeah. If someone gets like, okay, okay. An, like an old timey injury, like get shot with a freaking arrow or kicked in the head by a donkey. You got to get there fair fast. Point. That's a fair point, James. By the 1910s, Detroit electric was selling 2000 cars a year. And while that is slightly less than the five to 10,000 model T's being produced daily, it was still great for such a niche vehicle. For comparison, Tesla put out about 85,000 cars its first year of production. That's a lot of roadsters out there. As the 1910s came to a close and World War I raged across the sea, gas prices started to soar. This quickly boosted sales of electric cars. But as the boys came back home, gas prices returned to normal, and the internal combustion engine started to finally get decent and costs dropped. The introduction and widespread use of the newfangled electric starter was the final nail in the coffin for the Detroit Electric. R.I.P. I bet the fact that World War One happened, like, sort of, probably halted electric cars. You know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. because, you know, electric cars, it seems like they're kind of like, uh, 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 uh. But then when you're at war... Yeah. You can't really charge anything. You need to just be able to glug, right, glug, right. glug and go. You wouldn't want to like repair repair that. Yeah. And I'm sure like the necessity of battle, like they were like, okay, we need to get these started really fast. Like let's put our best guys on it. And that's why they probably invented the electric starter. After wars, after big wars, man, we get all kinds of cool <laughs> Like plastic and instant mac and cheese and jello. I Yeah. I love <laughs> As World War I turned into World War II and all those carriage-looking electric cars were long buried in landfills, that, there was a spark of interest that reemerged in America for alternative vehicles. The first realistic electric car will be a bit familiar to anyone familiar with Tesla's first car. The Henny Kilowatt, great name, emerged from a factory in Bloomington, Illinois. 
The tiny car was the result of shoving together a custom Coachworks company, Henny, and the Eureka Williams Company, which built electric vacuum cleaners. Eureka. That's a good vacuum. As the Packard Car Company started falling apart, their custom body maker, Henny, was looking to scare up some new business. They were freaking out. They were jonesing for a fix. They had a side gig of assembling hearses and ambulances, but it wasn't enough to keep the lights on. So they purchased Eureka and then merged with the conglomerate, the National Union Electric Company. The result was a battery company and an auto body company in the same building. (laughs) And when you put peeps in the same building, what do they do? They start talking during lunch, okay? They start discussing vacuums and then that turns into how they got the vacuums to their houses in their cars and then they say wait wait a minute what do we we have electric motors and we have a coach builders over here we should build a vacuum car (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) the results were interesting while eureka started pumping out electric motors henny bought 100 renault dauphines and started customizing the bodies so they could properly fit the new electric motors. This was a move that Elon Musk would later mimic when he bought a ton of Lotus Elises and bolted in his own electric motors. The Henny Kilowatt had a 36-volt system that could push the Dauphine's tiny body at 40 miles per hour for 40 miles, which was a vast improvement over earlier electric cars. But by 1959, you could buy a Corvette... (laughs) and go well over 150 miles on a single tank of gas and go over 100 miles per hour very easily. And the Corvette only cost $200 more than the kilowatt. And freaking astronauts drove them. The National Union Electric Company improved the kilowatt for the 1960 model year and added a 72-watt system. This would push the little Dauphine 60 miles per hour for 60 miles, which, which was way better but still failed to reach speeds and range the stock Renault can make with its 845cc four-banger. GMXX saw the little Dauphine and said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe we'll do something like that, too. And so they started planning the new Electrovair. They took a trip to the Chevy factory and grabbed a few Corvairs, which were tiny rear-wheel drive, rear-engine cars. My mom just told me that she had a Corvair, and she had one of the dangerous ones. Really? She also had a Carmen Ghia. Your mom likes... Uh, likes Cars with the engine in the back. Yeah. And you know, I never thought. This whole life I thought she was a front engine lady. Yeah, that would explain why she keeps trying to stuff groceries in the <laughs> engine. They ripped out the Corvair's air cooled flat six, installed a hundred and fifteen horsepower AC induction motor, then they added a five hundred and thirty-two volt silver oxide battery cluster in the front. Together, they added 1,000 pounds to the fairly swim 2,400-pound car, making it weigh about the same as a full-grown adult male giraffe or a 2013 Chevy Malibu. The newly installed electric motor... (laughs) Wow, is that really how much a giraffe weighs? Uh, 3,400 pounds? Giraffes weigh 3,400 pounds? They're tall as <laughs> That's Nolan at the zoo. Oh man, those horses are They're tall. As <laughs> I wonder if you could like train a giraffe to pull a horse and buggy, or like a a buggy. It would be so like magical looking. You'd you'd have to dress like Willy Wonka. Yeah. 
or like the Mad Hatter or something? Mm, Northern giraffes, okay, they weigh anywhere from 1,200 to 2,600 pounds. So, I mean, there's a lot of different species. God, these are f- weird animals, dude. <laughs> they have blue tongues too, right? They got big, yeah, they got blue tongues. They're very tall. They got re- knobbies on their head. Little knobbies. Like not even horns. Beautiful animals, dude. Like, okay, this is like an alien. This is an alien. Like, if you, like... They fight with their neck. These are aliens. <laughs> Why do they look like that? <laughs> I love Nolan discovering giraffes on, look, on the podcast. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, I... giraffes, classic animal. Classic childhood animal. You discover mm-hmm. when you're young. Toys R Us mascot. You're like, yes. Toys R Us. Jeffrey the giraffe. Classic. Great guy. Uh, shame what happened to him. <laughs> but then, like, you kind of take animals for granted, right? You're like, okay, I'm done with with safari animals, and then you're 28 years old hosting a podcast, <laughs> and you look up giraffes again with a with a, a a new perspective. Yeah, and that perspective is that giraffes are weird. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. The electric motor in the Electrover would power the car for a range of 80 miles at a lightning quick 80 miles per hour. What I, at first the one went like 20 for 20 miles and then it went like 60 for 60 miles. And now it goes 80 for 80 miles, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's kind of weird that it scales up that smoothly, mm-hmm. which was about 20 miles per hour less than the stock Corvair with its 100 horsepower flat four. But the range was still pathetic compared to how far the Corvair would chug along with its 14-gallon gas tank. There was another issue that the bean counter sniffed out. They said, let's not give it all the bean. <laughs> Those silver oxide batteries that GM chose to install may have had very high energy to density ratio, but they were also as useless as they were heavy. The battery pack would break after around 100 charges, meaning the whole car had a lifespan of 8,000 miles. This made the whole project not really financially viable since the batteries would have to be replaced every six months under normal driving conditions. And the battery packs were also $160,000 each in 1966. That's like $1.3 million today, uh, which is, you know, how much a McLaren Senna costs. Hmm. If you can afford a McLaren Senna, buy a house. (laughs) On the more affordable side of electric car history, there was the somewhat clever city car. The little smart car-looking vehicle was the brainchild of Bob Beaumont, a Florida-based car salesman who became disgusted by the out-of-control oil consumption at the end of the 1960s. That's such a good car salesman name. Bob Beaumont. You want to buy a car from Bob Beaumont? I can tell. I I bought a car from Bob Beaumont. You ought to buy a car from Bob Beaumont. (laughs) (laughs) Bob Beaumont. Bubble man. <laughs> While everyone else was enjoying their muscle cars and doing burnouts, Bob decided he wanted something a little less fun to drive. So he drew a doorstop on a sheet of paper and got to work building his dream. That's, uh, you know, it kind of looks like a doorstop. Very wedge-shaped, weird-looking guys. It took years to get the car together and cost him his dealership. But by 1974, he had made his dream a reality. And it kind of sucked. 
The Sebring Vanguard City car weighed only 1,300 pounds, which is about half of that of a Kia Soul. The tiny car was essentially a street-legal golf cart, but not like a standard one. More like those souped-up ones you see in the villages in Florida. We all know what you're talking about. You've been to the villages, James. The villages? Yeah, in Florida? Yeah, that's where I live. I'm retired. (laughs) The city cars, much like the name suggests, were not designed for sailing down Route 66. They were made for scooting around New York City or London. They came in bright colors and were about $2,000 cheaper than any other car out there, which is fair because they were about half the size. The four lead-acid batteries would stay charged for 40 miles, and the car had a top speed of 40 miles per hour, but it was somehow worse than the Electro Vare. The build quality was also astonishingly bad. The HVAC system was a hose hooked up to the front of the car, which would blow air over the motor and through the firewall, so it was nicely heated up before it got to the driver. Sounds like an HVAC system. Oh, nice, James. Got him. The doors were basically tin flaps, and honking the horn or turning the turn signals would slow the car down a bit, which is why it's shocking to learn that at the time, Sebring Vanguard was the sixth largest car manufacturer in the U.S. But as the oil crisis ended, so did any reason to drive the dangerous little wedge. Sebring Vanguard called it quits in 1977 because it was just too hard to compete with the super awesome automobiles being produced during the malaise era, like the Chevy Citation. If you go to the uh, Slab City out by the Salton Sea in California, there's a couple of these cars just hanging around. It is really weird looking up close, though. It looks like a middle schooler's project where they're like, devise an EV. (laughs) Uh, As malaise gave way to the dot-com boom, GM decided they were going to give the whole electric car thing another go. This time, though, they decided to do it right with the GM EV1, which, or as I like to call it, the GM everyone. It's for everyone. Because it's for everyone. (laughs) GM built everything from scratch, and the result was the first EV car that brought actual excitement and enthusiasm to the American market. GM decided the best way to get these zappy little cars into the hands of the adoring public was to set up direct leasing programs at Saturn dealerships. For the first time ever, people started showing up at Saturn dealerships with a smile on their face. Hey, that's not nice. Hey, I love my old Saturn. Yeah, my aunt had one. It was great. I would like a Saturn at some point. Let's buy Saturn. I know, I want to buy the name Saturn. This was GM doing some real-world beta testing, as I like to call it, alpha testing, with customers (laughs) because they reserved the right to take back the cars at any time. But people didn't want their cars taken away, naturally. They loved the little shoe-looking thing that had a drag coefficient lower than the newest Tesla, 0.208. It's good. The Evy ones... (laughs) aerodynamics rivaled the best race cars at 0.19 whoa that would be groundbreaking if the ev1's engine wasn't electronically limited to 80 miles per hour but it could go 80 miles per hour you don't technically need to go that from you don't technically need to go faster than that that's fast enough to get on the highway and not annoy other drivers and the ev1 could go 90 miles on a full charge thanks to its fully aluminum lightweight frame 
GM even thought ahead and installed chargers at malls and airports, creating an actual system so the cars could be used out of town. The 220-volt chargers would refill the tiny car in just three hours, while the home-based 110-volt chargers would top the car off in a not-so-speedy 15 hours, which, eh, that's like too long. Californians leased the cars like crazy. Of course they did. Am I right? Freaking more like Libifornia. <laughs> Just a quick aside on this EV1. The prototype was called the Impact and it was really cool and it had a top speed of 183. Shut up. So limiting it limiting it to 80 miles per hour was lit- literally like capping off the top 100 miles per hour on it i bet it just drained the battery in like two seconds yeah probably car clubs for the ev1 sprang up all around southern california and the cult following grew and grew and grew it's like all these libs growing weed in humboldt county humboldt county scary but then with literally almost no real notice gm recalled all of the ev1s and started crushing them Owners were told to forget about their cars and move on. Just don't even think about it. It never happened. They were gaslit. Conspiracy theories developed and GM was accused of crushing the cars to protect the fossil fuel industry. They got a call from the gas guys say, Mr. Chevron wants a word with you. Maybe it was no coincidence that GM bought the Hummer brand that same year that it ended production on the EV1. GM did as GM does. They blamed the money guys and said there was no interest, but the reality is the GM did what GM actually does, and they swiftly ended the EV1 program because the tiny cars cost an eye-watering $1 million each to make. And also, no one really knew what would happen with those batteries after a few years parked in the California sun, so it made sense for GM to crush them to reduce liability. Around the same time the EV1s were being leased out, Alan Cocconi owner of AC Propulsion in San Dimas, California, debuted the... Ab- San Dimas High School Football Rules. Debuted the absolutely insane T-Zero. Up to this point, electric cars had all been more or less glorified golf carts, but now there is a glorified go-kart in the running. I think it's pronounced zero. 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 The T-Zero had a 150-kilowatt motor powered by the all-new lithium-ion batteries that put out the equivalent of 201 horsepower. Basically, a Scion FRS worth of (laughs) get-up-and-go. Except these are juiced-up electric ponies, not petrol ponies. The T-Zeros silently zip from 0 to 60 in a draw-dropping 3.7 seconds. That's a full second and a half faster than the Porsche 911 from that same year, and 0.2 seconds faster than a 1997 Lamborghini Diablo. Lamborghini Diablo. Lamborghini. <laughs> the T Zero was so fast, people started noticing and they wanted their own. But these cars had a hefty price tag of $220,000. Yo, I think T Zeros came on Volk TE 37s. Sick. Sick, dude. Oh. That's what that 200 grand gets you. That's tight. Soon to be Tesla Motors co-founder Martin Eberhard commissioned a custom T0 for himself and he fell in love with the car. But Kikoni was hesitant to put the T0 into full production because he probably didn't like money. Now there's probably something more going on there. I thought his name was Everhard and I was like, dang, dude, that's a good name. <laughs> 
You went, you went in the wrong industry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got emphysema. <laughs> Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpening incorporated Tesla Motors in July of 2003 and took Eberhard's bright yellow T0 to Silicon Valley, where he'd raced startup investors from stoplight to stoplight, freaking them out and trying to loosen their grip on their wallets. Eventually, the T0 got in the hands of Elon Musk, who had been looking to invest in a sporty electric car, and this was right up his alley. But everyone quickly realized the T0 was a death trap that would never get Department of Transportation approval. So, Eberhard strode into the 2003 LA Auto Show looking for a car manufacturer who would become a true partner for the soon-to-be-built Tesla Roadster. The first car that really caught their eye was the tried-and-true and very sporty Lotus Elise. The Tesla crew flew to Lotus HQ in Hethel, England, and negotiated a deal to get some slightly modified at least bodies that they could shove the AC propulsion tech inside. And thus, the Tesla Roadster was born. And whatever you think of Tesla, for the time, this car was amazing. It wasn't. It wasn't? No. No, it was not good. Why? So it would overheat and just like... That's like break. every sports car, though. McLarens are like really bad. Yeah. Like reliability wise yeah great cars but they they're weird they got they got weird stuff going on the tesla roadster was exactly what ferdinand porcha wanted to build in the first place it was lightning fast the air-cooled three-phase four-pole <laughs> induction electric motor made 248 horsepower and the 200 pound-feet of torque was constant and immediately available anywhere from zero to six thousand rpm this also wasn't some glorified city car with a 40-mile range. The 2,877-pound Roadster could go from 0 to 60 in 3.7 seconds and had a range of 244 miles per hour and can fully recharge in around 4 hours. While the performance is similar to the T0, the Roadster was a real car with DOT approval, not a fiberglass kit car parlor trick created to impress investors. I, I don't think we ever mentioned it, but the real game changer was the switch from lead-acid batteries to um lithium ion batteries that's where like the original t0 could do 4.1 second 0 60 as soon as they switched to lighter lithium ion batteries that could recharge faster that changed the whole industry and kind of made tesla a viable opponent to ice engines is that what we have in our phones yeah cool there's a new battery that's even better than lithium ion that they're thinking about switching to i think it's Iron oxide batteries, maybe? Iron ion? Iron oxide is rust. Iron ion, then. Iron ion. <laughs> Iron ion. In October 2009, a Tesla Roadster set the world distance record for a production electric car on a single charge. During the Global Green Challenge in the Australian Outback, Tesla managed to drive 311 miles, averaging 25 miles per hour the whole way. The next year, a Tesla Roadster won the Monte Carlo Alternative Energy Rally and then went on to dominate an entire field of 96 competitors in a three-day, 620-mile race sanctioned by the Federation Internationale de Automobile. <laughs> <laughs> the FIA. Yeah. Out of every electric car that came before it, the Tesla Roadster was definitely the greatest. But since then, it's gotten even better. They're so good now that it's ridiculous. It makes me not even like cars. <laughs> Electric cars are starting to hit sub two seconds, zero to 60 times. The Tesla Model S Plaid Edition 
will go from 0 to 60 in 1.99 seconds. The Remac Nevera will do it in 1.85. It's ludicrous, wink, wink, how fast electric cars have gotten. And now everyone is in on the electric car game. Dodge, <laughs> Dodge is releasing an electric muscle car in 2024 called the A Muscle. <laughs> Uh, it's a terrible name but if they do it right the a muscle will squash the hellcats four seconds zero to 60 time yeah easily nolan's favorite car the porsche taycan ev best car named after a serial mascot tycon dude toucan a german driving instructor took a porsche toucan and managed to drift it a completely insane 26.2 miles around a wet track. That's the length of a marathon. And the only reason that it ended is because the battery died. Electric cars are no longer a trick clever engineers come up with uh, in their Scottish barns. While New York City was filled <laughs> with electric taxis back in 1900, today you see thousands of hybrid Prius cabs in every borough. Even Staten Island, the forgotten one. Electric vehicles are definitely the future, but it might be a bit of a surprise how much they've defined our past as well. Going back nearly 200 years, from the humble battery-powered carriages of the 1800s to now, the technology of EVs has progressed exponentially. Their next step might be making gas-powered vehicles a permanent part of our automotive past. I think 100% that's going to happen. I think uh, an electric, a cheap electric truck is going to be the nail in the coffin for ice. The slow nail in the coffin for ice engines. Even though people are announcing like that, like we're going to go all electric by this year, like like 2030, 2025, whatever. It's like the majority of cars on the road aren't new cars. So it's still going to be a you know trickle down effect. Yeah, internal combustion cars are gonna are not going anywhere for decades. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate that like us consumers are made to feel guilty about driving ICE engines, but it's corporations that make up seventy one percent of uh, carbon dioxide output, mm -hmm. and they're still, you know, doing that every day, and they don't get in trouble. Yeah, so. I think they should... They should get grounded. They should get spankings. Maybe they deserve a little spanking or two every once in a while from daddy. Yeah, maybe maybe we take some uh, freaking giraffes over to the big corporation headquarters and fight them with our necks. Maybe we saddle up the giraffes and we march on Corporation City. And we bring daddy so that he can give them a little spanking or two. <laughs> Oh, say hi to my friend Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, my dad, my daddy's got a big old hand, and he's just waiting to spank with it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys see yourselves buying an EV within the next five years? No, not at all. Never. Uh, not five years. No, I definitely want. I want an EV at some point. Yeah, I want a Rivian. I want that R1T. Yeah, those are cool. The R1T truck is pretty sick. My like ultimate dream car is like the Taycan wagon. Like I want that shooting brake. Shooting the shooting brake. My yeah. The toucan, the toucan with the big boot. Yeah. Big old thick 
toucan. It's like such a good looking car. So fast. So cool. And it's a turbo too, even though that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they got to figure that out. But I want it. One thing I've been thinking about, and solely me. <laughs> no, one, th- one thing I think about all the time is like, why do electric cars look so dumb? I don't think they look dumb. I think they used to look dumb. Not even, you know, I think this might have been a hybrid, but like I always go back to the Honda Clarity with like the closed back wheels. Why do they, why do they have to look like that? That was an insight. <laughs> Did you just call the insight the Clarity? What's the Clarity? Is that a Toyota Clarity? Dude, that's so embarrassing, bro. Oh, the inside is what I'm talking about, but the new the the new one is the called the, the Clarity. New Honda Honda Clarity. Clarity. Oh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I just thought it was a funny mix-up because they're both like kind of very similar words. <laughs> like you get you get clarity from insight. <laughs> Interesting. Honda probably did that on purpose. You start with insight, and then you get clarity. <laughs> we cracked it, boys. <laughs> One of the reasons is like because you don't have engines, you can kind of just play with like the uh, packaging of a vehicle, right? That's a big reason. I think it's ended up hurting hurting their image though, because people don't want to drive weird little goofy spaceships. I do agree. I think like cars should look a little bit more traditional for the time being, just to like ease people into it. Um, but also like another thing is like. Y- since electric like good evs are like so new and it's like hey we're this is like a trend like this is the time uh the time is now like you want buyers also want people to know that they're driving an electric car exactly yeah if someone's buying an electric car right now they want everyone to know and like you can tell that because like they all have vanity yeah. license plates that say like buy gas or uh i simp ev <laughs> T-T-Y-L gas. <laughs> Electric waifu. <laughs> yeah. This t- this Taycan wagon is good looking. Yeah, it's so cool. Is that cool. real? Is that going to come it's out? It's already out. Yeah. We can go buy one today. Let's go buy one. Yeah, we can, let's go buy one with our money. Yeah, let's pool our money. Uh, I, I would like it on Sundays if that's possible. Yeah, that's cool. I can swing that. I get it every other day. Every other day. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pass Gas. Uh, let us know what you think about the future of EVs and uh, electric and uh, internal combustion engines. You can send us an email, passgas at donutmedia.com. Um, also, it's Nolan's birthday today. So, uh, why don't you send us an email? Just, you know, send us an email giving us five reasons that Nolan is special. And we're going to read a few of them on the air the next time we record. So, just like five reasons that Nolan is special. uh, And we'll read those on the show. Thank you. Thank you, James. Preferably in in order of heightening. Yeah, make the, put the funniest ones last. Thanks. Yeah. Nolan, wrap it up. Let's go, man. All right. Thank you very much for listening to Pass Gas. <laughs> hey, tell a friend about the show. James already <laughs> told you about the email. Follow my boys at Joe G. Weber and James Pumphrey. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. If you'd like, follow Donut on all social media at Donut Media for more funny memes. And uh, you know what? Be kind. I love you. See you next time. Wait, Nolan, intro me one more time. I got, a, I got a one last 
one last catch. Joined as, joined as always by my co-hosts, Joe Weber. Uh, mobilize, Wink Wink Nation. <laughs> and James Pumphrey. That's a lot of poop out there. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs>